You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. You know, I don't see what is wrong with loving and respecting your wife. Amen. I've been loving and respecting my wife for 18 years. Even my girlfriend knows that. <laughs> Turn the TV on. There's been another mass shooting today. I take a lot of heat where I say guns, you gotta have them. This sort of thing just seems to be happening with more and more frequency. Man down! We need backup! Chief, you need to see this! Something happened to us in that raid, Chief. We were exposed to some sort of chemical. Here we go. We're just going to go down the dark hole of conspiracy theories. This mission requires that we stay cool. Cool breeze, baby. We do not recognize the federal government. They're going to recognize you. We don't know who's messing with our heads. We're just looking for some answers. Are you off your meds? I did a little bit of research on you. A lot of people think, oh, I got a ticking time bomb. Other people say, hey, look, this guy is a public hero. All I can tell you is killing those bad guys. Felt like the right thing to do. How's this crazy fool gonna know who's the bad guy? You're messing with our Second Amendment, Chief. I'm an American. I have the right to bear more arms than anybody on this planet. He's got a gun! I'm sorry. Boobs or booty? Uh, booty. You're writing no check with your mouth, yeah? It's getting cash, huh? Oh my god, you have to see this. Uncle Jason is trending. That's coming to you from Mr. Jason Pratt. That's my custom tailored suit. According to him, he's one of the good guys. Hey folks, welcome to a special episode of The Projection Booth. I'm your host, Mike White. Joining me today is Mr. Mario Van Peebles, the writer, director, and star of the new film Armed, which is now available on various streaming platforms. Be sure to check it out. Let's go ahead and play that interview, and I hope you enjoy. You've been acting since you were knee-high to a grasshopper, and I'm curious, what is your process when it comes to actually getting into a character to get into a role? I draw and paint, and I noticed that as a kid, there's someone who's taken a picture of me drawing, that I tend to make the expression or, or some, do something that reflects the energy of the character I'm creating on paper. And I think as an actor, I, I sort of flex almost like silly putty, if you will, and sort of feel it energetically and then sort of get an idea and go from the character inside, from the inside to the out. I'm often playing characters that are not like the Mario I know myself to be. Now, there's there's obviously facets of all of us that we we have that we don't, you know, we don't let them sort of drive the emotional vehicle of who we are, right? So we might have a, a you know a jealous part or an envious part or a, you know a, a, an aggressive part of us, but we don't. That guy doesn't get to drive the vehicle most of the time. And I've often found, too, that I learn, I can learn through being someone else, not acting it, but being it. I'll give you a case in point. And I can't, I don't know that I can exactly describe the process or that it's exactly the same each time. But when I did Heartbreak Ridge, my character um, had to rappel off of a tower. Now, I'm not afraid of heights, but I'm not, I wouldn't stand on the edge of a building and I wouldn't rappel down a tower in in normal circumstances. But my character's, Stitch Jones was not afraid to do that. 
Now, that was a different process from when I played Malcolm X, and I, I read the books that Malcolm read and inspired him. I read his work, but I also studied the works that, that helped form some of his or affect some of his sort of geopolitical thinking, right? Um, my dad had interviewed Malcolm X when he was in France. Malcolm's daughter was working with me to humanize and portray her father, not just as an icon, but as a man. And my two daughters were playing uh, Malcolm's daughters. And it got to the point where I had really uh, embraced his speech pattern to the point where I was having dreams as Malcolm, almost like channeling. And when I watch that movie, when I watch Ali uh, and I see the Malcolm that I portrayed, I don't see Mario. I don't I don't look at it and go, oh, yeah, I remember being there. I don't I don't see Mario at all. It been different when I played my dad in Badass, you know, and that was I had put myself as a director in the in the same position as my father was. He had to make his film Badass in 17 days with family money and was under a lot of pressure as a director, actor, producer uh, and writer. And I made my film in 18 days. And years later, of course, as a director, actor, producer, writer, um, I was under less pressure because the the sort of socio-political deck wasn't as stacked against me as it was because my father had already broken down some of those doors, but I was under a lot of pressure. And so in putting myself in those same sort of pressure cooker dynamic um, and having to fight my way out against the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune and misfortune, right? Like he did. I, I found myself in a position that felt very familiar and, my dad could be and was at the time very uh, specific and sometimes explosive, but dedicate, dedicated guy. And there's there's a part where he tells Big T, you know, who's his, his right hand man, if I was the kind of brother that was scared of you, I wouldn't be the kind of cat that would get this shit done in the first place. And and I, I you know, I, I, I really got there. So so maybe in the case of badass, it was really putting myself partly in that and channeling my dad, who I grew up with and realizing, wow, I'm a lot, I have a lot more dad than I thought instead of psychotherapy on celluloid. In the case of playing Malcolm, it was really um, spending time in prison, talking to people that converted to Islam. You know, also the wealth of knowledge I have about the period, having made the movie on the Black Panthers and talked to my father about what Malcolm was like when he interviewed him, et cetera, et cetera. And in the case of... Um, armed you know it's a different thing because i'm playing someone that you know i'm mario where i am in my life is a pretty pretty great place and that's something people don't often admit you know we're not supposed to say in society i'm really happy (laughs) oh i'm struggling we're taught not to really say that for some reason maybe we think we'll attract bad luck or the evil eye or whatever it is but i am really happy i get to make I, i i make a living doing what i want i uh, you know, I do a couple of movies for the studios and make make some money. And then I go off and make the film I want. I work with people I care about. So there's three loves in life. Love what you do, love who you do it with, and love what you say with it. And I get them all in line. And uh, so in the case of playing Chief in Arms, who's absolutely at the emotional end of his rope, that's the antithesis of where I am right now. So that's a different kind of process. So I would have to say an answer to your very short question with my long blue book answer. It differs with each role. So there's no one size fits all answer to how I would prepare. But I seem to find my way and each each one's a little different. And I think that's part of the, the, the thing. It's like 
the, what's exciting about it is that the process is different. And I often and always try to be young enough to be a great student and old enough to be a badass teacher and leave myself open to the possibility that I don't know the answers and I'm okay with not knowing all the answers. And I'll discover that as I go. You've talked about playing two people, two real life people who you brought to the screen when it comes to a character like chief and armed, you know, 100% coming from your imagination or probably based somewhat in reality. And I'm curious as far as where did chief come from and where did armed come from? Well, the thing is this, what I was interested in this is sort of, I guess it's rooted in Vedantic theory, but the notion that if, you know, if a glass is full of water, you can't put more water in it, right? You have to empty it in order for it to be refilled. And so a person that thinks they know everything and has all the answers is not really open to taking in more sort of uh, information or knowledge, if you will. And what's interesting about where Chief is, he's bottomed out and he's absolutely, you know, empty. And and so when Grace says, she asks him a question and it's a bit of, it could be hurtful. And he says, she says, is this, you sure this isn't an ego bruiser? He says, I don't think I have much ego left to bruise. And later on, she says, we all, you know, are born in this world looking for love. And Chief says, and I guess some of us would settle for attention. Or at this point, I'd settle for attention. That he's really sort of a character that in, in some ways is bottomed out and therefore able to take in new, uh, new beliefs and new, and instead of and new inspiration. And so that was an interesting character to play that someone that's really at the end of their emotional rope. Uh, and also someone that I don't want to be a spoiler here, but that realizes in some ways that they are in fact part of the problem. And, and, and uh, Chief could be, uh, a very dangerous guy. And, you know, we, we have that tagline on the, for the movie Armed, which is, what could go wrong? Well, when you have a, you know, easy access to medication and easy access to weapons of war, a lot could go wrong. So Chief is a guy that feels like a good guy. You know, in, in some ways, I was having, I was sort of referencing other, my cinematic history as an actor. I played, you know, they say nothing stops a bad guy with a gun like a good guy with a gun. Well, over the years, I've played a lot of good guys with guns. And Chief, you know, just feels like he's a good guy. Uh, and uh, But he's got a lot of guns, and he's on the no-fly list, and he has a skewed sense of reality, and he's emotionally bottomed out. So that's a dangerous place to be. Um, you know, we, we know that the ego, um, above all else, needs recognition. That if a child doesn't get recognized for being a good student, he'll get recognized for maybe not being a good student but it will need to get recognized. And Chief's biggest fear at this point, as he tells Grace, is to die alone with his life not meaning much and no one giving a shit. And uh, so in a way, if you look at some of these mass shooters, they're loners. Sometimes they felt emotionally marginalized, visible, and they're one you know, hyenas act away from being infamous and being recognized for something that is... Uh, not a positive in society. So th- that's a dangerous mix. You know, when you have, you have people, you, you can see it all over, people trying to get on, on their, get their followers up, will do idiotic things sometimes to get recognized and get more followers and acquire more wealth or beyond what they need. And, and so you have to say, why are we doing that? Why do we, well, that's the ego. The ego wants to have recognition. <laughs> so I was playing a character that is, uh, 
in emotional deficit. And that's a tricky character to play. So that was, it was, it was, uh, it, and could be an explosive character and a character that desperately needed to be believed in and to be loved. It was a pretty, it's a pretty uh, lonely, uh, tragic figure. Yeah. That was, it was tricky. It was, that was a complex character. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of the phrase ripped from the headlines, but there's moments in the film that feel like they are coming right from the zeitgeist, right from right now. And I'm curious, what was that inspiration for you to finally say, this is the story I want to tell. This is what I'm going to craft as my next movie. The definition of crazy is not being really crazy. It's maybe even doing the same thing and expecting a different result from doing the very same behavior. And our behavior in in America right now is we'll send out thoughts and prayers and, and, but that inaction is not, not enough to, to change where we are with these mass shootings. So my, the inspiration was uh, traveling and going to see, you know, developed countries like Australia that had a mass shooting and then did a huge gun buyback program and changed it up. And they haven't had a mass shooting since or not a big one. You'll still get a a person mowing down people with a car or a knife or something, but not with weapons of war specifically designed to kill human beings. You know, you can always use your car to ram into people, but that's, that's, you're not going to get to, you know, you won't shred them with an AK, you know, 47 or AR 15 or whatever. So we're the only country where developed country where weapons of war are available and you can sell them to young people and, you could sell it without a background check. And so we've taken this sort of path that has led us to where we are. And, and now mass shootings are sort of normalized. And we say thoughts and prayers and bow our heads and interview the people. And, and we move on. We do the same thing. So that repetitive nature and, and having seen that, I haven't, I haven't experienced it myself. But just seeing that as an American going, what the hell are we doing? And so it wasn't a racial issue. You know, sometimes you look at uh, this is a film that's cast with all kinds of folks of various colors and it's from the smorgasbord of humanity. But it's not about race. It's about something that's affecting all races. Bullets are very democratic. I don't care what you're, what what party you're with. Um, and so th- that was, I think, the tipping point for me was just saying enough is enough. Going to some of the marches, seeing some of the things that happen and saying how in my field is entertainment. How can I, in my field, make a difference? If I, in my field, make a difference, if you in your field make a difference, if we all light a candle, then collectively maybe we bring the dawn. And uh, just feeling like inaction wasn't the solution. So that was that. But but there was also just the storyteller in me, some of the stories that, that were just outrageous. There was a, a guy that broke into his neighbor's place because he heard a woman being tortured in there and turned out his neighbor was watching torture porn very loud and had on a kimono and a samurai sword and a blow-up doll. And I thought, that's just such crazy shit. I got to put it in the movie. You couldn't believe it. You can't make this up. You know, someone wearing a tinfoil cap to stop the microwave attack. And you go, okay, okay I got to have that. And then, and then the guy, Charles Ramsey, who was like, what was he, out of uh, Cleveland? The, the black guy with the crazy hair a few years back who found the little, found the girl, you know, and they made a whole, became an internet sensation in social media. They made a whole thing on him. He found a little white girl that she ran into his arms and they made a whole song online. And he said, oh, that's got to be the ending of my movie. And then Chris Donner, the, 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 
the, the former police officer who was wronged by the LAPD and he went after them finally after eight years of trying to do it through the legal way and uh, and they wound up in a shootout and they wound up getting him in Big Bear so it ended in Big Bear and I thought okay I'll, I, I'm going to end my movie up in Big Bear so I took all these different things <clears throat> and wove them together but there there's a zillion different stories that are in there not just one music has been such a major part to your films you know from from new jack city probably even before that on but new jack city of course it was a major part and it's a major part of armed as well and i'm curious what your relationship to music is and how you decided to come up with the music for armed um well i i you're right new jack is uh you know had a platinum soundtrack um and if you look what i did with new jack you know in a way was similar to what my father did with um, Sweet Sweet Bad, Badass Song, where he had a, you know, he had First One in Fire, he had the music for his movie in 1971, and the music sort of very upfront. And I wanted to do that with Nijak. Here I wanted the music to literally be, uh, to feel like it was in Chief's brain, that it was coming from inside him. So, for example, and I, I, I went into some new places. So when... You know, Chief needs this sort of adrenaline rush that he misses when he was, you know, U.S. Marshal. And as a barber, he, he, he's not getting that adrenaline rush anymore. And and without identifying it clearly, he sort of reverse engineers himself into a situation where he has to flee some attackers. But he's clearly set himself up to do that. And in running, this self-imposed or self-inflicted crisis that he's engineered, he's running from it. I wanted the music also, and that's why he wears the earbud throughout the film, to come from within the character. So when Chief is running, the music is coming through his head, and the the percussions okay, are, are weapons. So if you listen to the song when he's running, um, the, the, the drum beats are all um, guns and, and weapons played at various pitches, and that, that's the percussion. And then the voice is different pitches of Chief's voice in his head. So I, I wrote the song with a, a friend of mine, and then I did quotes from my dad's play, Ain't Supposed to Die a Natural Death. So when my dad says, come on, feed clues for me, trouble ain't no place to be. So I let that kind of come through Chief's head. And then I had my two sons do the hype man stuff. So you kind of have three generations of Van Peebles in that one song. And it's the percussion is all weapons of war. So it's pretty wild. But there, there's other places where he he's scoring, you know, he literally music is what they say. Music soothes the savage beast. One 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 person watched the movie and she said, oh, it's Beauty and the Beast. And that Grace has this wonderful ability to calm Chief, to see the beauty in him and not the beast. And although he's a very dangerous guy, she just does not perceive that. She never feels, she feels protected by him and he feels loved and encouraged by her and she brings out the best in him. It's not just, with people it's always two things. We like the person or, and we hopefully like how we are with that person. And with, with, with Grace and Chief, they're both better with each other. Um, although the relationship is never classically romantic, they're just, they're really good together and they bring out the best in each other. Yeah, so music is, playing through his earbuds it's you know he puts it on when he needs to, as he says to jonesy every hero needs his theme music and she is consciously scoring his life and believes that he's created a new app that from his pulse you know uh 
plays the, like a mood ring, if you will. That and so he's surrounded with lush, eclectic songs, and, and it's all through his head. He's he's literally scoring his his life. He's in his own film. I think it's a fun character that way. That's because I love music, and I said, "Oh, this guy's gonna really just let it rock and roll." So if he can't do his poetry, he'll play his music, and you see that in, even when he's uh, cutting hair or attempting to cut hair. Mr. Van Peebles, thank you so much for your time today. This has been fantastic. Well, thank you, man. I think the ultimate trust on your part would be to come meet me at some point and let me show you how I've learned my skills as a barber and uh, and let me cut your hair for you. Oh, that would be real easy. All you need is a razor. I'm I'm pretty light up top. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, but you know I'm kidding. You know what? Be messing with your head. Thank you so much for talking to me, man. Word, I pull the trigger long, grip my teeth, spray to every nigga's gone. Got my block sewn on my dope spot. Last thing I sweat, so suck a punk cop. Move like a king when I roll hop. You try to flex, bang, another bang. nigga drop. You gotta deal with this, cause in the way out. Why? Cash money ain't never gonna play out. I got nothing to lose, much to gain. In my brain, I gotta capitalize my grain. I gotta get paid tonight. You motherfucking right, stick in my grip. Check my bitch, keep my game tight. So many hoes on my jock, think I'm a movie star. 19, I got a $50,000 car. Go to school, I ain't going for it. Kiss my ass, bust the cap on the Moet. Cause I don't wanna hear that crap. I'd rather be a new jack hustler. Hustler. Yo, man, you know what I'm saying? You got it going on, my man. I like how it's going down. You got the flat floor, the girls, the jewels. Look at that ring right there. I know it's real. It's got to be real. Man, you the flyest nigga I've seen in my life. Yo, man, I just want to roll with you, man. How can I be damned? What's up? You say you want to be down east. Back, a motherfucker get beat down out my face. Fool, I'm the illest, bulletproof. I die harder than Bruce Willis. Got my crew in effect. I bought a new Jag. So much cash, gotta keep it in hefty bags. All I think about is cheese and cheese. Imagine that, me working at Mickey D's. That's a joke, cause I'm never gonna be broke. When I die, I'll be bullets and gun smoke. You don't like my lifestyle? Fuck you. Fuck you. I'm rolling with the new Jack crew. And I'm a hustler. H-U-S-T-L-E-R, hustler. New Jack, New Jack, New Jack, hustler. New 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 Jack, hustler. New Jack, New Jack, New Jack, hustler. New 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 Jack, hustler. New Jack, New Jack, New Jack, hustler. New 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 Jack, hustler. Here I come, so you better break north As I stride, my gold chains glide back and forth I care nothing about you, and that's evident All I love is my dope and dead president Sound crazy? Well, it isn't The ends justify the means, that's the system I learned that in school, then I dropped out Hit the street, checked the grip, and now I got clout I had nothing, and I wanted it You had everything, and you flaunted it Turned the needy into the greedy With cocaine, my success came speedy Got me twisted, jamming to a paradox Every dollar I get, another brother drop. Maybe that's the plan, and I don't understand. God damn, you got me sinking in quicksand. But since I don't know, and I ain't never learned, I gotta get paid. I got money to earn with my posse out on the
the app, bump my sound, crack a 40 and laugh. Cool out and watch my new bins clean. Is this a nightmare or the American dream? So think twice if you're coming down my block. You want to journey through hell where shit gets hot. Pregnant teens, children scream. Life is weighed on the skills of a triple beam. You don't come here much and you better not wrong move. Bang! Ambulance cop. I gotta get more money than you got. So what if some motherfucker gets shot? That's how the game is played. Another brother slain the wound is deep. But they giving us a band-aid. My education's low, but I got long dorm reads like a pit bull. My heart pumps nitro. Sleep on silk, lie like a politician. My ooze is my best friend, cold as a mortician. Lock me up to genocidal catastrophe. There'll be another one after me, a hustle.